0: Well, you're back again, Brian Ross. Uh for maybe your second appearance. Is that right? Yes. Thank you so much. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. A little
1: while. I think the last
0: one was uh early this year. That sounds about right.
1: Last year, yeah, something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we 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 were we were uh talking with each other through slides and DMing and stuff, and and you I think you brought up a intriguing question that I, I uh I haven't contemplated in a long time. It's like nowadays, there's a lot of people who are interested in a path to production, a golden path, even a secure software supply chain. To do my obligatory joke, I don't think anyone wants an unsecure s- supply chain. So whatever, but it's always good to emphasize things. And uh, uh, and and I think I think you raised the point that like, well, I mean, haven't we been doing you know uh, automated builds since the day? If anyone remembers of cruise control. And then you had, I think it was Hudson, and then Oracle had a trademark little problem, and then it became Jenkins. And then you had, uh, I think Atlassian has some, you got this, that, and the other, all the way up to like, uh, you got GitHub actions that people seem to be incorporating into their things. And so, like, what's up with like uh, all this golden path, path to production talk? Like, are we like, uh, what's new here? What's what's the consideration? You know, it's really interesting that um,
1: all that is new is old, right? I say we've had a lot of this technology before and I'm out talking to lots of customers about golden path, about platform engineering, and these terms have got a lot of buzz and a lot of following. And the risk with IT, I think, is that we always end up looking at that thing as something new that we should follow in itself. Mm. Um, You know, Kubernetes would be no different here, right? Brand new technology, we should definitely deploy that. We want to have a Kubernetes platform. And my job is largely to ask, why? Why are we doing these things? What is it we're looking to achieve? And so when I think about Golden Path, I think less about the tools that are in place and a bit more about what the value is we're trying to get. And I think that's one of the areas that I'm seeing now. And I'm on the cusp of um, thinking about a blog article around the sins of platform engineering because I'm hearing a couple of key phrases now that kind of signpost to me that perhaps we're not doing platform engineering, perhaps we're... We're just focusing on too much on the tools. Uh, and it came from a, a, the idea came from a friend of mine. So, for example, you, you were asking about the, the differences. I think the, the main thing is that developers have been doing CISD for a long time. And I think with Golden Path, what we're trying to do is be a bit more abstract about how we approach that. So it's not just one way of deploying software, because developers did that already with Hudson and Jenkins and everything that followed it. But a golden path for me is the ability to build something that developers want to use. In other words, you have a CICD pipeline that is flexible enough that many development teams give up their own environments in order to use your central one. And that's the critical thing, I think. There's so many organizations that I speak to that have deployed effectively a CICD, and they're still disappointed that developers are refusing to use it. Mm. Little, they know that the developer's own one is more locally optimized, does things that perhaps the central one can't do. It's tooling they're really comfortable with, et cetera,
0: et cetera. You, you know, like what, what is your, because what's your sense for how many organizations are building out, let's say, a Kubernetes cluster or or a general cloud infrastructure strategy with the intention of it being used to run their own software? to be used by developers, application developers. Like I feel like I talk with maybe I'll be, I'll be a little aggressive or or overly, whatever, Uh, maybe 50% of the people I talk with who are in that situation, what they're saying is they've built it and like developers aren't really like, as we would say back home, cotton into it. Like they're not really like, uh, uh, attracted to it or, or wanting to use it. Like what, and, 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 you know there is a selection bias for both of us that we often, because we work at a vendor and ultimately we're trying to help, of course, we're trying to make the dreams come true of the people we talk with, but we're also trying to help sell them stuff. And so obviously if everything is running perfectly and they don't need any help, we don't talk with them sort of, Mm. but, uh, so there's a bit of bias there or whatever, but like how common do you think that situation is?
1: I think it is very common. Certainly the the experiences I have, most organizations they have a a cloud strategy that is mm-hmm. normally based around one vendor or more. And they have a Kubernetes strategy, which is weird in itself, right? Like you should you have a Kubernetes strategy or should you have a cloud native strategy or an mm-hmm. application modernization strategy? Something yeah. that's going to achieve a, a business outcome. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things I love about my role is I don't have to, to go sell. One of the best things is I honestly get to turn up, ask what problems they're having, and if I don't think I can help, I I just saunter off and uh, go go see the next person, right? <laughs> That's um, right. But I think the secret is that, that many big organizations, small organizations, ones that are moving quickly, ones that are moving slowly, all seem to suffer the same problem in that they are... I think suffering a little bit of a hangover of the last couple of years of rapid investment and development. So I think mm-hmm. if you look back over the last three to four years, there was a massive boom in spending and around IT. There was a huge amount of optimism because, you know, awful things happened in the world, but as a result, we ended up doing lots more remote, lots more online digital experience all of a sudden became the top priority for everybody. So, yeah. you know, it, it, was, it was the heyday some, in some ways for IT, but now you know there's the world has changed again financial downturn we have various things happening abroad we've got supply chain problems you name it and i think that we're now beginning to look at some of those technology choices and ask ourselves what did we really get from this um Mm -hmm. you wrote a great thing on your koti newsletter um around paas and kubernetes and whether that was a seven-year distraction and i think that's that's kind of what i'm seeing in organizations now is that they're beginning to look at things like that kubernetes strategy or that public cloud vendor strategy and think about how they're going to deliver some business value out of it because they're really getting squeezed for it.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting take on it because it like like it does it, it 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 does kind of fit like one of my one of my fanciful notions of i mean as you were kind of alluding to that uh for whatever reason like we've built out a bunch of infrastructure and, and now we need, uh, we need to worry about what it's being used for. And it's, it's such a big, as, as does people still say a big lift, it's such a, a complicated, big piece of effort to build out a cloud essentially, or, or you know, assemble the way you're going to use uh, a cloud or clouds that like you've got to prioritize and maybe worrying about your developer experiences. Like it kind of makes sense that you would do that after you build the infrastructure. Right. And so like, even in the most optimistic case, like now is the time after a couple of years of building stuff out that like, oh, now we need to do developer stuff. Right. Which, which then also I think, you know, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to know how much of this is just me making up stuff, but, but it, 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 it would make sense as, as you're kind of saying that now there's, there's a need to like show value for it. And, uh, you're not really going to show value by just having like infrastructure, like it needs to do something <laughs> and, yeah, and the, yeah. the, the, the best way to do something with it, well, not the best way, but you know, you can either, I guess the things you can do with infrastructure, tell me what you think there's at least three things, one, you can do less of it to save money, which is always appreciated. People like saving money, but that can be difficult, you know, I'm no accountant, but the way that accounting works, I mean, you know, you're on three, five year amortization plans and the costs are accounted for. So like just shutting something down might actually not make any sense because the costs are already sunk. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you, you can always decide to do something less with infrastructure to maybe save money or you could like run like other applications off the shelf applications, right? Like in particular, maybe you could do like some data processing. If if you wanted to just use that roar, roar, raw, raw horsepower to, uh, do analytics and things like that, or you could like make your software, your own applications better somehow. Right. And that, that, that kind of becomes a, a bit of a, uh, to use an overused silly metaphor, a bit of a fractal thing where like the way you make your applications better might be to make them cheaper, right? So you could consolidate applications or make them cheaper, or. You could actually do your software so that you're, uh, somehow making your business run better, which could also be cost savings, or you're actually, uh, I guess you could be retaining your customers better. So you could be preventing churn or loss. And then, so you got negative one, reducing costs, zero, maintaining costs the same, or you get one, which is like, you grow your business somehow by, by making your software better. So like. It seems like the 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 logical conclusion is like you need to do software or analytics or do less infrastructure. I, I guess maybe seem like the three levers you have to uh, show value to show that, mm-hmm. that your, your stuff is worthwhile. I don't know. What well, what's up with my grand tour there? Did uh, is, is that anything? Yeah. Well, look, I think that's that's kind of what I was saying that the
1: we've we've come from a period of massive growth where. Immediately, the digital experience around a business became one of the most important things. Whereas a business might have had an online shop before, they mm. still saw themselves having physical entities where people would do the most of the business. Whereas you know the the global pandemic brought us to a position where all businesses had to have an online experience, and more still, that online experience had to be competitive. Whereas before, it just kind of had to exist. Yeah. I think the change in finances, though, means that we are now looking at that and saying, well, this growth is still definitely great. That's how we're going to grow our business. That's where we think the next stream of revenue is coming from. But we need to balance the, the books at the end of the day. Um, so without doubt, I think with my customers, I'm still seeing that complete dedication to building a digital experience for customers and making sure that's the best it can be. Yeah. Um, I think largely as well, like the, the kids today, uh, you know, they, they're all going to want online transactions. That's now the norm. So I don't think that's going to change dramatically for the next couple of years. So more and more online uh, transactions. Um, but I think, again, we, we need to make sure we're doing this sensibly. Um, and a lot of this is really basic, right? I think the uh, it's very similar to the chat we had at the beginning of the year, and I'll keep ranting about it until something changes in the world. But whatever we do, we need to be able to answer the why really easily and quickly. So, you know, I've gone to many customers and said, right, great, you're doing Kubernetes. Why Why are we doing this? What, what part of the business is going to be improved? Or even more now, I'm going to people that say, well, we've got a platform engineering team and they're doing great work. And they are. But when they say they're customer focused, and I ask them which languages their developers are using, or what their IDE is, or what are their pains that developers feel every day, that the faces go a little blank, right? So the running joke that I've got just now with a friend of mine is that, you know, if someone says they're customer focused, it likely means they spoke to one developer one time, or maybe mm. someone the team used to do development a decade ago. But we are still very much in the habit in IT of building things that we think others will find useful. And that's not the way to run a business. You need, to, um, you need to go out there and do your market research and build things that are going to be useful demonstrably every day. And for me, I think that's getting into trenches and saying, what really irks you on a Tuesday? And then <laughs> fix that problem. And that might not be a huge uh, golden path. That might actually be one really specific thing, like I struggle to get API documentation from other teams. Right, let's go solve that problem, right? Little problems, solve them iteratively and then build it into that pipeline. If you do that, then I think there's more chance developers will find what you're doing is useful. And then the more they're going to use it and the more that you can then demonstrate that this thing that you've built is actually worthwhile, that it has some value.
0: So so let, let's let's pull at, at a lot of these notions here. And, and like, so we started off uh, with the premise that like what, what's, what's new about a golden path, right? Which which, which, you, you know, is a good question. And then we have, uh, so you build up all this Kubernetes infrastructure and, and, and what's it useful for. And then we have like the idea of, um, uh, you know, uh, a business, most organizations to, to make a profit and nonprofit, most organizations like, uh, are operating with software as a core component, if they didn't have their own software, they wouldn't be able to operate as they are today. And they probably wouldn't be able to like make their, their business or their organization run better. You know, I mean, obviously in each industry, there are things apart from software that make their business better. Like in, in, in one of your former roles, like if you have content, that's actually entertaining, that's cool. Right? Like you could have all the cool software in the world, but if your content's not good, it doesn't matter if if you're in the entertainment industry, so forth and so on. Uh, so like there's something, something that we're, we're talking about at the, the, the middle of a lot of this, which is like making it matter to the business. And the, the term of art, the jargon for this in our trade is business value, which, you know, is, is basically a, a concise way of saying what you're doing is useful for whatever it is the organization. wants, (laughs) wants, <laughs> right? Like, like it's, you know, something that is not of business value might be like when we, when we talk about the stirring straws for the cafeteria, for the tea or coffee, should they be green or should they be off white, right? Like anytime you spend doing that, unless you're maybe in the fashion industry. And one of those colors is core to your identity. Again, there's always exceptions, but in general, there's no business value to that technology, the stirring stick that you use there. Mm. Um, and you could argue that like, there's not much business value, you know, you, you require a stirring stick, otherwise you can't mix the coffee, but it doesn't matter what kind of stirring stick you have kind of, sort of like a file system, like, you know, you need a file system, but it's not really worth debating which one to use unless you're doing something very exotic, just like a green stirring stick. And uh, I need to cut myself off here before I get lost in the stirring (laughs) stick thing. But like, like, so, so like, you know, given this like cloud native stack, like how, how do you think about like a very not detailed, but kind of like a, a nicely causality linked way of thinking about business value? Like, how do you go from like a golden path, helping developers out to like saying, ah, this is clear business value, right? Something that we can kind of like track and know, not just like trust that it's connected.
1: That's a really interesting point. Um, So I think that business value begins with a mindset of serving others. Mm. Because I think fundamentally, what you were saying there about um, stutters, not to get too deep in that, but it's it's around <laughs> what is commodity, right? So I, in mm. my head as you were talking, I had kind of worldly maps popping up in my head around what's important to a business and what's not. Where should you tie spend your time and where should you outsource, for example? And I think it's maybe similar. So computers by themselves don't really do much, right? They're fairly dull. But what we can do with them when we turn them to something that's unique to that business it's a bit more interesting. So as people in IT, the closest we have to that, I think, is twofold. Number one is talking to finance to reduce those numbers. Whatever the spend is, let's make that lower. If we're spending lots of money in one area, maybe we can consolidate. And, you know, VMware made a very successful business out of that consolidation play. Um, I think the second is being able to help grow the business. Um, so, the metrics around there is how quickly can we get new ideas to market um and that is that's how quickly can we deploy software but more importantly how quickly can we change software because i think that's largely where enterprises are struggling sometimes they can get something new launched in public cloud that has bypassed a lot of their internal processes but then when it comes to scale or when it comes to making a change or making it more secure or auditing it, all of a sudden changes have to be made and everything kind of slows to it to a grind and halt. Yeah. So I think for me, I think looking at values, thinking about what the impact is you have on other teams. So developers are our primary stakeholders. So how can we improve their day? I think that can be largely removing toil from their day. Um and I think we we spend a lot of time thinking about productivity, right? Like getting 10 minutes back per developer multiply that out. That's pretty big. But I think there's a bigger play as well, which is if you can make developers happier in their role, so they're spending less time doing this plumbing that they didn't really want to do in the first place. Well, in actual fact, you'll end up with happier developers, which means they're going to hang around in the business for longer, which means you're not going to have to hire new developers as quickly. And finding new talent is actually pretty difficult now, right? Um, especially at the kind of price point you want. So there's an HR part there around you're adding value around engagement for for people. At the end of the day, developers are human. They just want to make an impact. If they want to change that stirring stick from green to off-white, they want to be able to make a simple change like that overnight. In many of the businesses I'm working with, that's not possible. And I've seen more than one developer friend of mine join a new business and leave within three months because they just couldn't get anything done. And I think that uh, part of the work we can do with helping developers is really just focusing on how we reduce the time they spend doing non-value work. Because for Mm. a developer, their value is when their application does something that it didn't do before. It's a new feature, it stops crashing, that's, that's value.
0: Yeah, you, you know, so there's a, the, we'll see if I remember all these things to follow up on in there, cause, cause there's a lot of interesting stuff there and well, first of all, I mean, if I were to summarize, use a phrase to, to, to summer phrase eyes, uh, a, the business value result or connection you're talking about there, it's like time to market, right? And so if we work back from the time to market thing, which as you are saying, like, uh the way that often manifests itself in the IT space and the software delivery space, all the way down to the infrastructure is, uh, removing wait time. And let's say friction from the process, right? Speeding up the time it takes to go from idea to like a user using some software. Right. And, um, so first of all, like the thing that I've struggled with over the years is Knowing, knowing when an organization actually cares about time to market beyond this kind of like fear driven, we don't want to be blockbuster mentality, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you know, that, that kind of like, which, which is totally cool if that's the milieu of like the world and everyone kind of like has this like uh this need to do things. And I suppose, you know, I, I I've, I've done a lot of, uh, discussion here in, in Tanzu land and webinars with, uh, your, your coworker, Darren rice about like this urgency in the financial sector. Right. And to some extent, well, it does exist there that there's this notion of like, at least in, well, i would say at least in retail banking, I, I can see how it, this urgency would exist in other, t- you know, trading and other stuff, but like that, we need to have software that isn't terrible, (laughs) right. That, that, that people like you and me use for our day to day life. And, uh, as things come along, like being able to pay with your phone, we should do, we should deliver that quickly. Right. And like, so there's that case. And then on the, the other end, like, I think an area where time to market, the one that I've encountered the most recently is very well understood. And I feel like the organization like has actual time to market urgency is like when you, when you hear like militaries talking about their need to use software, they're basically like, we need to be able to change our software really quickly because it's how we run what we do. And what we do is very important. (laughs) It's, it's literally mission crit, like mission, mission critical. Right. Uh, and so. Like that urgency, and, and you've seen this over the past, I've seen over the past 10 years that like, you know, in, in uh, various various countries, militaries have really like, they've been like, oh, right, we're not good at software. We don't even have that capability. So we need to build it up because we need to have like programmers in the field doing that stuff. So like, that's kind of the ultimate urgency uh, in companies. but like, But like, what I struggle with is like, unless I'm talking with someone an organization and they already are just like, we want all the time to market possible, whatever it is, we want to speed up. Like, it's almost like you don't have to talk to them about a path to production or a golden path They're like, I want to remove, I want to speed this up as much as possible. So unless they have that, like finding out what their time to market is like ferreting it out and then connecting it down to, uh, you know you should install Kubernetes, <laughs> right? Like, or, or, you know, out of our infrastructure area, a very stereotypical cliche thing for a developer to complain about saying why you should get a, a laptop that's three to four times more expensive than the standard issue laptop, right? Like, mm-hmm. like kind of convincing the whoever is control of the IT budget and like the authorities that like, One time to market matters to you. And one of the ways you're going to achieve time to market is by doing, just as you were saying, like removing all the waste from the developer, from the path, the golden path. And then, and then like even more foreign of a difficulty is like the thing that you were alluding to is like, yeah, you like happy people do better work. (laughs) And so like, if they want a green stir straw. We should get them green stir straws, right? Right. Like, you know, kind of like that, that kind of stuff. So I don't know. There's a question in there somewhere, but it's sort of like detail more of that. Like if you're talking to someone and like, they don't, they're not quite on this time to market thing, let alone connecting it to optimizing developers. Like how does that conversation go? How did it, when do you see the light turn off where they're like, oh, right. We should spend $3,000 on a developer laptop every 12 months, not every not spend like Two hundred, not two hundred, not spend like you know four hundred dollars, or four hundred pounds, or four hundred euros every three years, right? Or, or you know, we should buy into this infrastructure that's like better, blah blah blah, right? Like it seems like that's a that's an issue. So we've mentioned path to production a
1: couple of times. Um, those are without doubt my favorite workshops that we do, and I think it's largely because it's not all technology focused. And for anyone that's not done one before, it's exactly as it sounds, we we get as many people from across the business and different parts of the business to talk about how a company goes from having an idea, either something brand new or just a simple change they want to make, all the way through the approval processes, the financial planning, through to development, hosting, testing, deployment at scale, and then, then into steady state. Um, It's usually during those exercises that we discover where productivity gains really lie. Um, Sometimes it'll be really obvious where you can see there's huge breakdowns. Perhaps you have a complicated IT process where we've worked out what we want to do, we know exactly what we need to, to have, but it involves sending tickets to seven, eight, Ten different IT teams, and you have this ping pong of request tickets going back and forward until eventually a golden nugget drops out the end of the machine. Um, I've seen that far too many times, and it's the individual steps aren't usually the problem; it's the wait time between those tickets, right? Right, right. I
0: I always joke that the uh, uh, it's not the arrows. I mean, it's not that I messed up the joke. It's not the boxes that matter; it's the arrows that matter—the handoffs between between every these things. One hundred percent.
1: Um, So a lot of times, again, it makes me unpopular, perhaps in a sales capacity, because it's about looking at this saying, well, I don't think we need to optimize the IT here. We need to think about optimizing the path. Then we can talk about how we're going to optimize the path. And I think technology is an enabler. It shouldn't be the destination. And I think, again, this is a mistake. People run out and build a Kubernetes platform on the assumption it's going to make them faster, more agile, and and all of those things. But in reality, when you look at that path to prod, there are months and months of effort involved in even getting to the stage before you get to talk about the platform. So how can we get further down that path to try and help out there instead? Um, Again, coming back to this idea of what does a a developer struggle with day-to-day, I can think of many organizations where they have a brilliant, brilliant C I D pipeline. Just ready and waiting to go. As soon as you have your container image ready, they can have that hosted in different countries, various data centers, auto scale with monitoring. It's fantastic. That doesn't help a developer develop. Most developers, when they're beginning to develop, have a couple of really basic problems. The first one is they write some code, they then want to run it to see if it works or how it looks, and then they change it and they run it again. And this, like, iterative hamster loop needs to be really really quick and in, in terms of getting their feedback if they have to wait two three five ten minutes to see the output of their work it would be a nightmare right it'd be like if you're using a word processor and you type a sentence and then you need to wait 30 seconds until that sentence appears on screen that's mm. the type of pain that some developers are seeing just now because they can't deploy their development code immediately on the cloud infrastructure, so they build something locally, perhaps on a little machine under their desk. We've all been there. Or perhaps they've got some Docker containers running on their local machine that they built themselves and has nothing to do with IT. Then you've got that mismatch between what their development environment looks like versus the real development environments. Um, So how do we help there, right? And, uh, you know, I won't sell too much, but turns out Tanzu does have a couple of solutions there. And I go out and talk about these five best kept secrets, Tanzu, because it's the parts that most people don't really pay any attention to, but I think they're the most valuable. And one of them is, it's just a work of art. It's a plugin for IntelliJ and for Visual Studio Code that allows developers to write their code, hit a goal button, and then see the output running on a Kubernetes platform that is centralized. They don't have to build the container. They don't have to think about the Kubernetes infrastructure existing. They just have their code in one window and the output in another. And they can Mm -hmm. set breakpoints and test their code and do development things. That's how we can make technology a lever for increasing productivity. Not the fact that there was a Kubernetes platform there, but the fact you're able to use it without really seeing it. But it means they're not having to waste time building their own development environment or fixing it every Thursday or Friday because they've broken it, or tidying it up, or trying to work out the mismatches and the differences between their development environment and the production one. I think that's that's really getting down to speaking to people about their daily challenges and helping solve them using technology. But, yeah, not, not technology in itself.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's making me think, you know, I, I always like to reduce things down to quippy little whatevers, but, like, or or painfully not quippy quips, but like, like a part of what you're describing there is that a lot of the infrastructure that exists exists to run your software in production, but it doesn't really exist to be very useful for the developers writing that software. And so, like you were saying, a lot of what happens, the, the, you know, an interesting experiment there is to say, how different are your development environments than your production environments, right? And the maybe not so uncommon extreme version is that the developer environments are completely different because the developers have felt the need to build their own infrastructure that is barely matches, right? They run it on their laptops. So they have the, the, the desk under the desk data centers as, as you were alluding to. Right. And it's just, there's so much friction and maybe also just so little not existing <laughs> as far as a concern or a thing that happens that the people in charge of the infrastructure just don't really care about what the developers are doing, right? Like about, and, and they more, uh. Are thinking they say like write your software to run in this kind of environment and give it to us and we'll work out the kinks between the two of us right and so this this creates like the ultimate not the ultimate but it creates a good example of the arrows mattering more than the boxes right to use a a, a fancy term because you have local optimization at that point like each of the the development phase can be very quick and they can be moving fast and doing everything great and it can be locally optimized but then once the, you hit that arrow and you go to like even QA, right? Like QA is going to have to stand this up. And then even when you go to, I mean, the only reason, well, not the only reason, but a reason that something like staging exists is to make sure it works in, in a, in a production environment versus whatever else. So you, you, each of these arrows you hop through, if you're not running like more or less the identical infrastructure that the software was developed on—it's not cool, <laughs> right? Like it's—it's it's just more and more friction. And I think the mentality is—is is because like that infrastructure was built to run the applications and not like be not also be usable by the developers, which I think is. I was talking with 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 uh, Jennifer Riggins, who writes for the New Stack, and you know she's been studying platform engineering for a while. And we were discussing this morning, like what is the difference between DevOps and platform engineering? And she kind of, as, as you several times, she brought up the, 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 uh, the, like, uh, I, this is my rewording of what she was, what she was saying, but it's sort of like, I think in platform engineering, you talk with the developers now that again, that's my rephrasing of it, but like, it does seem like that's the jump that, that platform engineering people are trying to make and that we. In Pivotal Tanzu land, made a long time ago with our platform as a product and with uh, Pivotal Cloud Foundry, now known as the Tanzu Application Service, like that's that was all built around that. If you remember, I was thought oh, these were a little, yeah. I, I thought these were a little goofy at the time. But uh, our 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 head of engineering, Ansi, like had these these uh, these presentations that were a bunch of emojis, and he would he would start to describe developing infrastructure based on. Understanding the application developer process, right? And like, with they were good presentations, but they were they were also this is before I accepted that emojis were a way that mature adults could uh, conduct business. But it, it, it was it does it does kind of like define a different approach of like we start at the top with the developer and focus on what it takes to get their software, and we build the infrastructure out uh, according to what's needed there. Uh, which which I think is uh, a good a good turning of the priorities towards not just the developer but towards the software, right? And and this is the connection I'm always trying to make is like now you are uh, you're doing it on behalf of the software, and if we think that the software is the way that you implement how the business runs, that means you're directly doing it for the business, right? Like you're finally building infrastructure and all of the tools and you have that really is focused on how do we run the business better? Not just how do we run it better? And
1: I think you're absolutely right. And it's really interesting when you think about DevOps and platform engineering. Cause again, we, everything is news old, um, DevOps for me was brilliant. We started talking more about helping developers and operators getting closer, which was great. There was a huge number of new tools that were built out of that time, which was fantastic. I think the downside, though, was that it was locally optimized. So we were able to get individual teams using CID pipelines and a whole bunch of tooling, which was great. And we added value in that little silo. But the problem is we really struggled to scale that in enterprise because you needed to have QA and developers and operators all in each team. So you had massive duplication of people in terms of resource cost. But I think as well, your duplication of ideas and the struggle was trying to have the guilds or chapters and various different mechanisms of trying to say, but we need to operate in a central way too. For me, platform engineering is trying to take in the lessons learned from DevOps and some of the tooling. It's about taking um, the service orientation from PaaS and the lessons learned all the way back from Cloud Foundry, and also mixing that with things like platform as a product, which is relatively new, where we're thinking about not just building out this platform, but really going out there and proactively marketing it. All of this still points to one big core part, and that is, as you said, we need to talk to the users of our platform and we have to build what is going to make our technology useful. We should not and never should build something that we think
0: is going to be useful. Um, right. You want that validation. Uh, so you have to build that into, you have to build validating the service you've delivered and, and what you think you should, you've got to anyways, you need to validate that it's useful no matter what no matter what you thought or what you signed up for six months ago.
1: Yeah. So, you know, if your if your goal is to try and get software delivered faster, sure, you could build a Kubernetes platform and make it really quick to deploy that. But by speaking developers, you might find out their challenges are making that container image in the first place. So maybe it's time to focus some effort there. Um as well actually we've we've probably ragged on kubernetes quite a lot which for you know a company that mostly sells kubernetes tools and things that's that feels difficult just to balance it out i think the thing here is that talking about usefulness kubernetes in my humble opinion shouldn't be thought of as a platform it should be thought of as a language because that's the value that we've got from kubernetes this idea that a developer can build an image on their workstation and it should run in your private cloud, your public clouds, your sovereign cloud, or wherever else, maybe on the edge, right? So I think Kubernetes as a language has been really useful because that lets us talk about requirements and capabilities separate to the technology that that implements them. Um, And so I think Kubernetes plays a massive part in some of that, that modeling that we're doing. So developers can come to us with requirements now because we've got this common language we can use to describe what they are. And we can build mm. a platform around them as well. Um, there's a lot in there, I think, for for companies to work with, though, because, again, none of this is technology as we know. It's not building out large chunks of infrastructure and reducing cost necessarily. It's about trying to twist some technologies together and bind them in the way that's going to be useful to people. Much like you, if you're building a product somewhere else, you take raw materials and you... You have a new spin on it, and I think that's what businesses need to do. They need to take all these tools in and spin them into a tool that's going to be useful for their business.
0: So you know, you're, so you're you're bringing us back to something I, I wanted to come back to as well, right? So at some point uh, when we were talking here, you were you're bringing up. So you know, you have a you have an IDE integration for the developers that like make, fits into this and makes building containers better, and eventually you get down to the infrastructure, right? And I think I think. One of, one of the things you're making me think is that as you were saying a lot of what we don't, well, I think that a lot of what we, as a whole community of doing this stuff, don't think about very well is that, what were you saying? That, that twisty tie stack, right? Like this notion that we have each of these components in a stack and how, how they integrate and fit together basically to do, to make your, your time to market, your ability to deliver software faster, to have tight, tighter to deliver, let's say every week, maybe every two weeks, right? Like just to pick a not so arbitrary period, right? Like I th- I think, I think if you can deliver new versions of your software, new features every week or every two weeks, you're doing pretty good. And you'll really be able to like use software as a core way that, Not only you run your business as it exists, but you'll be able to like innovate in your business. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you can twisty tie a bunch of stuff together that delivers that, then I think that's kind of like the combination of your platform and your golden path and your path to production, all of this stuff. Right. And, and I feel like one of the things that's often missing is one understanding, regardless of the technology what the components of that stack are and how they're supposed to fit together. Right. And this gets to the old, like, you know, a bit of the distraction thing is like, I think everyone's like, you know, myself included early on when I heard all these, these big claims about like what Kubernetes could do and like things like that. Like they sort of thought like once you went through the Kubernetes, the hard way installation, you were done, right? Like you would have all of this ability and like you would basically just have a Heroku finally for the enterprise that, that people would want. But like, we all found out that was not the case and blah, 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 right. By design, right? Like, which is totally fine. But like, you're making me think what the conversation I think I would like to have with people is, so what is that twisty tie stack, right? And now let's go box by box and talk about what the best fit is for that now. You can also like, you know, this, that's a bottoms up best for breed thing, best of breed thing. And then that also leads to a discussion of like, you know, what we do, we have a twisty tie stack, right? Everyone has a twisty tie stack. And then if you can kind of understand what the components are and how they fit together well, then I think you can have a more informed conversation about all those various stacks and the parts of them, right? Whereas now it's like, at least to my mind, it's very foggy. like. How uh, uh, a build tool integrates with like the way you're doing a Kubernetes thing versus integrates with this thing, that thing, like all the way up to like, and then I don't know. There's a UI framework, <laughs> and like it's it's like a bold claim from people like ourselves and others to be like our platform's the best, all the way up to Spring, and it all integrates together, and it's super cool, right? <laughs> Without like like we almost get trapped in something that I think we did in the in the past era back uh in the in the 2000s where we're basically just like hey here's a platform trust us it's just a it's it's a you can't look inside the box and how it fits together but it's totally cool (laughs) where it's hard it's like we almost need to have a new conversation where we talk about what these boxes are and i think this is this is an area where like i think there's good parts of kubernetes is it's trying to establish a common as you say language or uh, as I would think about it, just like a common API and a data standard so that you can kind of like, you don't have to have all these custom ways of having the boxes integrate and, and how they run. But I don't know, I mean, that's like, it's. I'm always searching for that little Rosetta stone. I don't know, I don't know the metaphor mm-hmm. for, for what that is.
1: And I think Kubernetes comes a long way to, to answering that. Um, like having that common language, that common API, has enabled so many things. And I think this is the value of IT. It's not Kubernetes, it's what can we use Kubernetes for? So we talked about um, packaging code. That has been a problem since time began. It's one of the reasons why Heroku did really well in the early days. Um, It's why Cloud Foundry was great as well. You had your PHP app, your Perl app, your Java app, CF push, and the platform would work out what kind of runtime you need based on the code language you're using and host that for you, which was pretty phenomenal. And it's taken us a little while almost to get back to that point with Kubernetes. With cloud native build packs, we can now do that too. So that's great. Now we can have a developers don't need to build their own Java environment for their container. We can have a centralized one and we can put all of our good corporate tools in there and that's fantastic. And we're making the developers like easier in the process. We're not asking them to do anything else or anything more. In fact, we're asking them to do less. So that's kind of cool. I think as well, when containers first got on the scene, like I'm, I'm old enough to remember jails and Solaris and all that kind of stuff. But I think with containers, what I saw, being a guy who was running a big virtualization platform at the time, was introspection being hmm. the critical part. And I immediately jumped forward five years in my thinking, which was if I can see what's running on my platform that I'm hosting, I could deliver a whole bunch of new value back to the business. I wasn't thinking about smaller or faster. I was thinking about I could make containers way more secure than anything else because I can answer challenges that I've had in the past, like we've got a big security vulnerability that's come out. How vulnerable are we? You're running a platform there with 50,000 VMs, which of those 50,000 VMs is vulnerable to this attack? And as a platform owner, I mostly had to shrug my shoulders because I didn't have visibility into the what's running in each virtual machine. With containers and Kubernetes, we have that. I think as well, we can do so much with that as well. So we've got things like um, being able to look at the network connections between containers, looking at the API that is set up between one application and the other. And if we can detect APIs with like Open API, then we can build dashboards. If we can build dashboards of APIs that are already there and running, well, we could do some cool stuff there, right? That would be things like helping developers understand if someone in a different team has already written a piece of code to solve that problem you're having. And this goes back to the problems we were having 20 years ago. It's developing code is something that's definitely doable. How do you know whether you should develop this piece of code or not? Maybe someone's done it already. In fact, your business probably has three or four ways of doing that same thing, and it's just because Steve didn't know that Sarah's already written a better version.: oh, I can that's think Steve. back to it's always Steve from, right? Um, I can think back to a business where, you know there were brand new products launched and one of the core components of that new product called back to an ancient deprecated system. And it's just because one of the developers that's how they did it on some other project they worked on, so they called this old API rather than new version. And there was lots of scrabbling around to get that function swapped out. But that was a, you know, that was a brand new product launched to millions of customers and we'd inadvertently pinned it to deprecated infrastructure that wasn't mm-hmm. reliable wasn't easy to change and all of those other problems. So, you know, I think with Kubernetes, we've got this ability to see more of what we're doing. We've got this language or this API that we can use to describe things better and make it run elsewhere. I think my big challenge to the business is, well, we've got all these tools now. What are you going to do with them that helps someone else? And then what right. can they do to build value out of that?
0: Yeah, and and I and I think I think you're arriving at an interesting point there as as we try to quest out let's say what is the business value of like a cloud native stack which nowadays basically means kubernetes right and i think you know it's 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 easy for me and and you know maybe all of us in in this kind of like uh frenzied this stuff is important thought leadership area to get caught up in which is Like, you know, the complexity of things and the difficulty of it. And then, and then also on the other, on, on the other hand, kind of like. Keynote stories about how like things are awesome, right? Like we installed this, we put this in place and now we can deliver multiple times a week or like now, now we can do that. And I think something in the middle that you were getting to is, is well, and then there's also the, the, the fear-based preventing mistakes <laughs> and, and, and cost controls and like, you know, stuff like that, like, like, you know, we need sovereign cloud, right? Like there's, there's these kind of like, I, f- I forget when I was talking with, with, with uh, Darren about this, what we categorize these as, but they're just sort of like things you have to do that you would rather not do like regulations and, and, you know, there's that kind of stuff and security, like. Of course you don't want the bad things to happen, but if the bad things weren't happening, you wouldn't do them because they were fun, (laughs) right? Like, um, but I think there's something else that like is even more important is to, when it comes to business value is to think about. So when we introduce this new way of working or this new technology, when it comes to software, what we need to focus on is what new capabilities we're going to gain that make things better. Right. So, so you started off the still, still a very technical thing. Well, very relatively technical thing of like, so I, when, when I was doing, uh, you know, VMs and, and early containers and stuff, I gained this new capability of being able to know what's running of kind of being able to diagnose and introspect things. So that was a valuable new capability because the ultimate thing you want your IT to do is to run and not fail <laughs> that that's always great. And so like. If that is a problem, then it is uh, of extreme business value just to keep the stuff up and running, right? To to just be alive. Yeah. So the ability to diagnose things faster and know what's going on is very much so of business value. So it seems like uh, the question with building out, whether you're, you're spending the time to build out a golden path or uh, build up some like multi-cloud strategy or build up a Kubernetes cluster with the platform on top, like, it's almost like what you want to start with is this kind of, uh, imagining scenario of like, all right, so once we get this stuff in place, like what new capabilities are we going to have? And then also, as you were saying, like, is anyone going to use them? <laughs> right? Like, so like, it's a two part thing of like, what new capability? Well, there's three parts, what new capabilities are we going to get, right? How will we get people to actually use them? Right? Like, because if they don't use them, then it doesn't matter. And then three. You've got to do this almost, and this is kind of what a business case kind of sort of is, but it's hard to reduce it to numbers is like, and is the, are the cost, the effort, the time, and the risk that it takes to migrate over to this new thing, going to be so much better than doing nothing, <laughs> right? Like, cause chances are, if you're considering this and the type of large organizations we talk with, like you already have a lot of everything. Like you're already functioning and running. And so you've really got to go get over this hurdle of like, or we could do nothing and the business still operates. (laughs) Right. So like, so like the capabilities we gain have to be like way good, like way better than what we're currently doing, or you need that big existential thing of like, well, what we're currently doing just does not work. So anything would be better (laughs) that that, that we would be doing. So I've had a number of conversations. We mentioned um,
1: Cloud Foundry and Tanzu application service um, earlier. That's been really interesting for me. Talking to big enterprises and I, I speak to them and we say, well, we've got Cloud Foundry running. with through. We had PCF originally and now we've got TAS in there. It's been running, but it's it's a decade old. So we want to replace that with Kubernetes. And I have that unfortunate job of asking the why, which was, what value are you going to get by moving to Kubernetes, and if you've already adopted a PaaS platform, well, in actual fact, the the improvements can potentially be marginal because you maybe already have a really good centralized platform that enables developers to push code in a centralized way to secure images and that you can scale and that you can monitor. Like, in a a sense, it is a container platform in its own right, you know? and so, as you say, is it, is it worth making the leap? What is it that you're going to get from a business perspective that is going to make all that effort worthwhile? And as IT people, we always have this assumption that just because something is old, the new version must be better. Mm. And that's not always going to be the case. And I think it's really important that we we pause and really think about the impact of what we're going to do. The flip side, by the way, is also true. I've I've working with some businesses just now, doing very cool, trendy edge stuff. In reality, what it is, is it's things like they've got factories or they have, um, in in case of retail, they'll have stores. And these places generally don't have a, a data center themselves. They've got computers stacked up in a corner somewhere. And the broadband connection maybe isn't great. Well, that's one of the areas where actually deploying Kubernetes could really help. Mm, Much like in yeah. the virtualization space, it gives you the ability to run more than one computer on a physical piece of tin, Kubernetes gives you an ability to operate those remote sites similarly to how you do on your, your on-prem stuff, or your public cloud stuff. Um, and it's really interesting, because some of that's really low weight. You, like You don't want a big, huge, heavy environment. You want something relatively lightweight. But that enables you then, if you've got that compute power that is flexible, well, now you could deploy new applications into your factories or stores. And what could you do with that? That could be things like computer vision, it could be things like 5G in factories for tracking where things are. You know, the 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 end, the world is endless there. So I think it's it's about working out where how the technology is going to be made to be useful. You're either going to make lives better for someone or there's going to be a, a new capability that you're you're now able to do that you weren't able to do before.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's great. That's a good place to arrive at is, is, is start with a conversation about what new capabilities am I going to, is the organization going to gain and kind of like navigate your way through that. And, and, you know, that can go all sorts of directions, but I think it's, it's a starting spot that, that, uh, I don't see a lot of people starting with. That's a great sentence right there. Well, uh, th- thanks again for being on. It's uh, it's great if, if people want to, uh, uh, well, you know, I'll recommend something you, you're, you do a pretty good job of, of, of one of the, the good tricks of people. Whenever you show up in a video somewhere, you download it and upload it to your own YouTube channel. So if you, if you go to, if you go to your YouTube channel, which you could also do with a playlist, but I download all my videos and store them in case they disappear one day. But, uh, you're, you're uh, what are you, you're, you're Brian Ross UK youtube that's right yep and and uh you can see all of the uh, the great appearances that you've had uh including you know you have your uh, your shopping cart discussion from explore uh barcelona last year and a few other interviews here or there that i think are uh, worth checking out well thanks for being on i think i think you always bring a uh a good like what's the point of this <laughs> like, like <laughs> angle. <laughs> and then also what's the point of this right now, uh, to it. So if, uh, if you want to see that, uh, that YouTube channel and, and other things of Brian's, uh, if you go to tons you can find the show notes. And then also, uh, you know, if you're watching this in YouTube or, uh, or LinkedIn, uh, I'll put some links there uh, as well. So with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.